Good to be back with you after a study break. Had a chance to plan out next year's uh, sermons. Next summer we'll be looking at the book of Revelation together. And uh, I'll be excited about that. But we have a lot of great things that I feel God wants us to examine in the coming months. And this September we're in this series on relationships. That's why we've entitled it the uh, tug of war of uh, relationships or the relationship tug of war. Because I'm going to guess that almost all the stress you encounter in life is relationally induced. I want you to think about that for a minute. Stress at work, people. Stress at home, people. Stress in the neighborhood, people. Stress at school, people. Stress at church, pastors. No, I'm just kidding, all right? But truly, when you think about the troubles, the challenges, the stress you face in your life, so oftentimes people are attached to that. So how do we forge strong relationships? How do we have healthy relationships? What do we do when our relationships go south? You know, how do we heal those? What do we do? How do we deal with the hatred that's in our culture? We're going to be talking about a lot of that over the next several weekends. But this weekend, I want to talk in particular about friendship because that affects all of us. And as we think about friendship, we want to look at what God's word has to say about it. And the friendship I'm talking about goes beyond just being friends with people because we should all be friendly. Everybody here should be friendly toward others. I want to talk though about those close, true, and deep friendships that we all need. God made us to have these kinds of close and deep friendships. So the book we're going to be looking at throughout the month of September is the book of Proverbs, God's book of wisdom. Although all the scriptures are wise and filled with wisdom, Proverbs in particular. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn them open to or turn them on to, uh, I have my electronic version as well. Uh, We'll work through that together. Now, according to the National Science uh, Foundation, the National Science Foundation tells us that according to their research in conjunction with other uh, agencies, Americans are reporting that they feel lonelier than they have ever felt before in their life. And at an alarming rate, more and more Americans in particular are saying they really don't have someone they can call their close and true friend. And that's tragic. Because friendship is a huge part of our lives. Let me show you what I mean. The first problem we're going to look at is 1717. So whether you're joining us online, and I welcome you, or the rest of us, would you read it aloud with me? A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. That's an interesting proverb because, <clears throat> excuse me, it was written at a time when familial or family relationships were very, very strong. And yet the, the writer that's inspired by God tells us that as strong as your family relationships can be, sometimes a friend can even be stronger in your life. So what does that mean? Well, you know, in a family, we're kind of obligated to love each other, right? And, and stick up for each other. Brother for sister, sister for brother, you know, mom and dad, etc. cousins. You know, when it, you know, we may not like each other, but when it comes down to it, we stick up for each other, right? Or at least we're supposed to. Well, a friend is under no familial obligation. They're not blood. A friend voluntarily will stick up for you. A friend will voluntarily say, I'm going to be here for you. I want to be here for you. I want to be about what you're about. I love showing up for you, in other words. 
So let's look at another proverb, chapter 18. Let's read that together. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So now we're going to talk a little bit more about this friend who sticks closer than a brother. And if you highlight on your electronic version or if you underline in your Bible, you might want to circle or underline this word sticks. Because in Hebrew, it means to cleave. It's almost the sense of being conjoined at the side with this close, deep, true friend in my life. That a true friend sticks closer to me than a brother. And the great example of that in the Bible, perhaps the greatest friendship in the Bible, was between David and Jonathan. Now, David was the shepherd boy that God called, who, remember, destroyed uh, Goliath and became the king of Israel, the second king of Israel. Jonathan was the son of Saul, who was the first king of Israel. But Saul rebelled against God, and God rejected Saul and his entire lineage and said, I'm choosing David and his lineage. Saul became angry and hateful, really, toward God, and he tried to take it out on David by destroying God's plan, destroying and killing David. And David was on the run from Saul for a long time. Now, if you're Jonathan and you're the son of Saul, that means that you're next in line for the throne. So you should hate David as much as your father hates David. But Jonathan didn't. Jonathan loved David. It says he loved him like his own soul. And in fact, hid and protected and aided David and said to David, you are the next king of Israel and I am for you. I want your success. You are the champion. And then tragically, Jonathan dies in battle with his father Saul against the Philistines. And when David finds out, David mourns so deeply over the loss of his dear, dear friend, closer to him than any of his brothers, Jonathan. Boy, to have a friend like that, it's a treasure, isn't it? To have that person who denies themselves and puts you first, they want the best for you in everything and in every way. They're willing to be second fiddle, so to speak. They're willing to sit in the background. They cheer for you. They champion you. They want nothing other than the best for you. They don't want any payback in return. I tell you what, you find a friend like that in school, you find a friend like that, you find a friend like that at work or in the neighborhood or wherever it is, you have found a diamond. You have found a real, real treasure. And that's the kind of friends that the Bible says we need to have in our lives, the kind of friends we need to seek out. But it's hard to find friends like that in our culture. And one of the reasons why is because our culture just goes against that kind of friendship. You say, what do you mean it goes against that kind of friendship? Well, Western society as a whole, even secularists will agree to this, has become very individualistic. In other words, it's all about me, me time, right? What about me? It's all about the I, not about others. It's all about success. What do I have to do to get ahead? And when you have that culture, that mindset that's all about me, what do I have to do to get ahead? What that breeds is this mindset that, that says, I have to look at you as a means to my own ends, what I want in the end. So now, I see having friends as really a way to get what I need and what I want. And when I don't need a friend anymore, when, they, when they're no longer of value to me, when I no longer get out of them what I was getting, we have a tendency to discard them and move on to the next friendship. So when I got here a little over four years ago, 
I got a phone call, and it was from a pastor of a very large church, not in Minnesota. And he said some very nice things to me on the phone, and I was shocked. And I was shocked because I hardly knew him. I, I, I had seen him at some conferences. I'd had a few conversations with him, but he had his own circle, and, you know, I wasn't in that circle. And I, when, he, when he called me and he congratulated me and was so warm on the phone, I just, I don't, it made me feel good. I just thought, wow, this guy wants to be my friend. And, I, and, and this is going to be mutually beneficial. I'm really looking forward to this. I just didn't know he felt this way about me. And then, and then he said, hey, and by the way, there's a certain pastor in church in Minnesota that I really admire. I've really tried to get near this guy. If you ever get invited into any meetings with him, could you see if I could come along? Because I could really be helped by him. And I just thought to myself, you dirty dog. You don't want to be my friend. You want to be his friend. You're just using me positionally to get to him. And I know that after you get there, you're going to forget about me. And I just hung up the phone. I slammed it down. I was so angry. Just kidding. I didn't do that, all right? Felt like doing it, but I didn't do it. Even pastors can sink to pretty low places. And I am sure I've done it at a time or two. And I'm going to guess everybody in this room at some point in time has used somebody else. It is part of our selfish nature to use others for our own means. You know, the the phrase we hear oftentimes in our culture, you know, friends with benefits, right? And so it's a very sexually charged phrase, but it goes beyond that. Friends, you know, I want friends to be successful. I want friends so I fit in. I want friends so I can network, you know, through my business and get to know other people. It's, It's all about having friends for my own benefit. As our students, how many students do we have in the room, all right? As they go back to school, right? As they go back to school, you know, the pressure's on. Especially if they're going into a new school or, or you know, from fifth, sixth grade to junior high or from junior high into high school or even into college. You know, who am I going to be friends with? Who do I need to know in order to be accepted, in order to fit in? Big, big deal. Big deal in their lives and in our lives. But, you know, it's not just individualism that affects friendship. It's also technology. Now, Marsh and I appreciate technology because our family lives all across the United States and around the world. So we like being able to email them. We like WhatsApp. We like being able to see them on video. But it doesn't replace really connecting with them. And, you know, as wonderful as technology is, it's also dangerous Because being a friend and all we do is FaceTime, all you do is see my face, right? And we talk to each other, that's not real friendship. You can only go so far because as long as I'm behind the monitor here and you can't see the rest of me, there's a whole lot of things going on in my life you may not know about. I may not even want you to know about. To develop real friendship, you've got to really have honest face-to-face time. Now, in between, yeah, computer and all that, that's fine. But you've got to have those moments when you're totally vulnerable with each other. We hold each other accountable where you know what's going on in each other's lives. Nothing can replace that. But our technology pushes us into isolation. It requires less true FaceTime. And that is always an unhealthy and kind of dangerous place to be when that takes place in our life. So our culture, our culture advocates for, really, when you think about it, what I would call superficial and contrived kinds of friendship. Now, I want to talk in particular for a moment to our parents and our students. Because 
as we go back in the fall, it's one of the reasons why I chose the relationship series. We all kind of start up again and we re-engage certain relationships and we start new relationships. And our kids go back to school, whatever age, stage it is. And the younger your kids are, the more important this is. Because a huge part of their lives, dad and mom, and you singles know this, you students know this, are there other relationships outside of the family relationship? So one of my favorite theologians, pastors, writers, is Tim Keller. And I came across a quote by his, and it just, I totally agree with it. Listen to what he says. He says, no one is who they choose to be. When you think about that for a minute. No one is who they choose to be. Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? He goes on, he says, we are all who we are by being shaped and influenced by the company we keep. We are all who we are. We are shaped and influenced by the company that we keep. That is so very true. You didn't come out of the womb your own person, so to speak. You have been shaped and molded by your parents, by your family, by your friends. It never stops. It never stops. So the question is always, who's shaping, who's molding my life? And I came across an article by a guy named David Brooks. He's kind of a cultural critic, he writes for the New York Times. And he said, young people now spend long periods of their lives outside of traditional families. Very, very true. Living among diverse friendship tribes. Why don't you think about that? Because it's really true. Your children are going to spend more time away from you than they are with you. You have only a really short amount of time to influence their life. So the question becomes, who do you help them discover that they should allow to influence in their lives? In other words, how do you coach them to find the right influences in their lives? That is a very, very critical question. If you want to know how friends in the culture, and it sounds like I'm beating up the culture, and I am to some degree, but if you want to find out how friends in the culture treat each other, if you want to know what it's like to live with the cultural mindset of friends, just watch sitcoms. That's all you got to do. Because the kinds of friendship tribes portrayed as sitcoms at coffee houses, and apartments, in dorms, at work, etc., has is a huge interpretation of how we really do friendship in our world today. And that's kind of scary if you watch the sitcoms. And you know what kinds of things they talk about and the kinds of things they do. And like it or not, it's very influential in our lives. The way they talk, the way they treat each other, the way they handle morality, the way they handle all kinds of things, it just mirrors where the culture is. Each is driving the other. Now, is that what you want for your kids? Is that what you want for, for yourselves? Which then begs the question, but well, that was really unpopular, I can just tell, all right? But it's reality, it's truth. What are we going to do about it? I mean, we're going to be like the frog in the kettle, just boiled to death, or are we going to say, no, not for me, not for my family, like Joshua said, as for me and my family. This is how we're going to try to live. This is, this is what we're going to understand friendship to mean. Which begs the question, how do you find a great friend? Which begs another question, what, what does it mean to find a, a, a great friend? Let's go back to the Proverbs again. See what it says in these two Proverbs. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We saw that. 
Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. So, this friend who sticks closer than a brother, there's a pleasantness of that friend that springs from their heartfelt advice. That word pleasantness in the Hebrew means sweet, like sugar sweet, which is really interesting because that proverb was written at a time when they didn't have sugar like we have today. They didn't have sugar they could add to things when they would bake it. Something was either sugary and sweet or it wasn't, like dates and honey by nature are sugar and sweet. So what that proverb is saying is that, you know, a sweet friend, someone who is sweet by nature to you, brings a blessing with their heartfelt advice to you. If you follow that proverb, and we don't have time to develop it right now, what it in essence is saying is that friendship is not created, friendship is discovered. It, there's either, the chemistry is either there or it's not there. There's either a pleasantness there or there's not a pleasantness there. It doesn't mean that you or the other person's bad. It just means we're not meant to be friends with everybody. Friendly toward everybody. So how do you discover a friend? Well, Ralph Waldo Emerson in one of his poems asked the question. The question he asked went like this. He said, friendship does not ask, do you love me? So much as, do you see the same truth? Are you passionate about the same thing? C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. I encourage you to get the book and read it. He's got a great chapter on friendship there. And in his book, he says, you know, in a love relationship between, like a, between lovers, like a husband and wife, they talk about their love. In a friendship, he says, we talk about the thing we're, we're, we're passionate about, the vision that we have. Lovers stand face to face. Friends stand arm in arm, focused on what they're passionate about. And so C.S. Lewis describes it with this statement, or it's kind of a question. He says, when you find a, when you find a friend, what you'll discover is you both have the same kind of reaction. You too? I didn't know you liked that kind of music. You too? I didn't know you liked going to those kinds of places. You too? I didn't know you cared about that kind of a situation. Wow, we have a lot in common here together. He goes on and he says, that's why people who simply want a friend can never make any. Did you hear that? That's why people who simply want a friend can never make any. If a person only wants a friend and does not share your passion for you too, there is no real friendship. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere have no fellow travelers. And you know, one of the places where we ought to be able to find The greatest of friends ought to be the church, the community of believers. You ever thought about that? But so oftentimes, the church reminds me of a herd of porcupines. Can you imagine a herd of porcupines? Doesn't make sense, does it? How close can porcupines get to each other? How close can you get to a porcupine? It's painful, it hurts, right? And sometimes the church is like that, and, and, and we don't feel comfortable making friends, finding friends here. My goodness, it ought to be the one place in the community where lonely people can feel accepted and feel like they can find a friend. But like I said, there's a difference between just going there saying, I want you to be my friend, you need to be my friend. You gotta, you gotta discover a friend. Because the chemistry's there, it's not there, you can't force it. But listen, it goes beyond just finding somebody who have a common interest with. Because you can find people who have common interests with you, but they're not going to be a good candidate to be a friend. Let me explain to you what I mean. While I was on my study break, I read a book 
written by a monk who lived in the 1100s. His name was Elred Avrivu, all right? Elred Avrivu. And it's called Spiritual Friendship. And he talks about how you go about evaluating somebody, whether you want them to be your friend or not. I want to share it with you, and I want you to think about this in terms of not only how you evaluate someone, but how you might evaluate yourself. I'll put this up on my blog on the website this week so you don't have to try to write it all down. But here's the first thing he says. He says, friends should be chosen based on godly or good character. I'm talking about that person connected to your side, right? Talk about that deep friend. As a believer, you need to find another believer, a good, godly influence in your life, of godly character. Number two, he says they should be tested. Okay, so if you're going to test someone, that takes time. doesn't happen overnight. So good, strong friendships are built over time. They should be tested based on loyalty, right intention, discretion, and patience. If the person seen to exhibit slander, pride, betrayal, or harm toward others, they should be rejected for friendship. So if I'm, if I'm looking for godly character, it takes time to see someone's character. Look for somebody who's loyal, right intended, who has discretion and is patient. Parents, that's what you got to teach your kids. That's what you've got to model for your kids. That's the kinds of, of close friends you need to have. That's the kind that you need to champion and praise them for. You need to encourage them. You need to help them avoid friends who are filled with slander, pride, betrayal, or harm toward others. Then number three, he says, if the person passes the test of friendship, they should be accepted and treated as a friend deserves. As a friend deserves. Now, I want to deal with a tiny little elephant in the room. It's actually a couple of questions that are interesting. And first I'll address all of us, no matter whether you're married or single. The question is, can, can men have close, this kind of friends? I'm not talking about friendliness. I'm talking about the, you know, connected to your side kind of friend. Can men have, truly have close, just, very close female friends? Can females have Really close, just close, that's all, male friends. Second question, ready for this one? If you are married, can a husband have a close, really connected female friend who's not his wife? Can a wife have a really close male friend who's not her husband? Now, I don't have time to answer those questions. That's why next weekend exists. We're going to talk about parenting, we're going to talk about children, we're going to talk marriage. But, but I will share this with you, and it comes from a secular study. Actually, it wasn't done by the Huffington Post, but they carried it, so you know it's not, you know it's not conservative, right? It came from secular researchers. It's becoming a fascinating area in our culture right now. It's becoming a fascinating area that social scientists are really looking into. And it talks about the very question I just raised, whether you're single, but especially if you're married. And I want to read to you the very ending of it. The very ending says this, answering the question, especially for married couples, having close friends of the opposite sex. So can men and women be just friends? If we all thought like women, almost certainly. It usually takes about 20 seconds. If we all thought like women, almost certainly, but if we all thought like men, we'd probably be facing a serious overpopulation crisis. And that is because men and women, and I am getting into a little bit more, but I, I, I 
I feel like this is the right audience right now because of families and high percentage of married folks in the last two services especially. It's because men and women look at friendship so much differently. So differently in our culture. Remember what the culture is telling us about it. So it's a risky thing. We'll talk more about it next weekend. You'll probably have some interesting lunch discussions. All right. So, so you know, how do we go about, how do we go about this? Let's, let's just summarize real quickly. What have we learned so far? God made us for friends. All right? Our culture does not help us right now in the area of friendship. It really has degraded what it means to be a true and deep friend. The third thing we've discovered is that, you know, friends can't be made, they're discovered. You discover friends by having things in common. We discovered then that it's not just enough to have something in common. They need to be men and women of character. Now comes the question, okay, what does a true friend really then look like? And here's how I want you to think about this. I'm going to share with you some principles from the Proverbs. And I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself, am I this kind of friend? See, your tendency, as soon as I say this, is to evaluate the people you think are your friends. You can do that, but I want you to ask yourself, am I this kind of friend? Is this who I am? So first one, here we go, ready? A true friend shows up. What do I mean by that? Let's look at a couple of Proverbs we've seen already. A friend loves how many times? All times, right? Let's move on to the next one, 18. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I've got a couple of friends that if I were in a crisis today, went home and called them. I know for a fact they would drop whatever they were doing. Buy the next plane ticket, no matter how expensive it was, and they'd be here for me. If I was in a serious crisis, I know that without a doubt about them. That is a joy and a treasure to have a friend like that. But the question is, am I a friend like that? Would I drop everything? Would I buy the next ticket out of town? Would I be there for them? So you've got to evaluate myself as well. You've got to help your kids, parents. You've got to help your kids think that through as they're developing these close friends. You want friends who are always going to be there for you no matter what. All right? Second principle. A true friend is empathetic. A true friend is empathetic. You know, certain phrases get used a lot in the culture and then they become jokes. But it's still very true. That friend who says, I can feel your pain. I feel your pain. That's called empathy. I connect with you. I see what's going on in your life. Listen to what the proverb says. Like one, who, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day. That's not very nice, is it? Especially in Minnesota. All right? Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day. Or like vinegar poured on a wound. That kind of burns a little bit. Is, a, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. What does that mean? Have you ever been kind of down, kind of discouraged, really going through a, through a difficult time, and your friend shows up, and they slap you on the back, and they say, just get over it, come on. Do you find that helpful? I don't. If I, if I, I, I'm trying to get over it. If I could just get over it, you wouldn't find me in this situation. What do we want at that point in time? We want somebody who is willing to empathize with us, who's willing before they say anything to, to, so to speak, you know, stand in our shoes. And maybe they've never gone through anything like we're going through. You know, sometimes silence speaks loudly too. When somebody just sits next to you and there aren't words because what you've just faced, there are no words, but they put their hand on your hand. They put their arm over your shoulder. And that's all you need from them. And it just fills your soul. 
because they're communicating to you that they don't understand, but they really love you and care about you, and they're gonna be here for you. Empathetic friend is huge to have somebody like that in our lives, which then takes us to the next principle. A true friend speaks the truth even if it is painful. See, a true friend doesn't hold back when they see us heading off the cliff, so to speak. Listen to what it says in this next proverb. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses, which doesn't make sense, right? You expect an enemy to wound you. You expect a friend to kiss you. So imagine for a moment that um, I'm totally blind. I've never been in this room before. I'm on this platform. In my mind, I assume I'm on the floor. And I start walking, and I get close to the edge, and you call yourself my friend. And you yell out, you say, have a safe trip, friend. Sounds nice. You're wishing me a safe trip. You're my friend. I mean, I'm about to break my neck or my leg. But let's say I'm about to walk off this thing blind, and Dan is sitting down here. Probably can't see online. I got a, a friend down here named Dan, all right? And Dan jumps up right before I'm all ready to go off, and he tackles me. He just grabs my legs, and I fall backwards, and I, and I hit my shoulder. And boy, does that hurt. Has he been much of a friend to me to cause that hurt? Absolutely. Because it's a whole lot better to bruise his shoulder than break my neck or my leg or my hip. Dan's just done me a huge favor. Those of you who said, have a safe trip, you didn't do me a favor at all. You're waiting for some entertainment. <laughs> Same thing is with friends. If I see my friend about to make a bad decision, I, you know what, I'm not going to hold back. Even if it's going to cost me, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something. Because I care about him, love him. And that, as parents, that's the kind of friend you want your kids to have. The kind of friend who's going to call him out at school, going to call him out in the neighborhood, going to call him out online or wherever it is and say, you ought not watch that. Don't go there. Don't hang out with him or her. I love you. You're going to end up hurt if you do that, which takes us to our next principle, and that is a true friend always speaks the truth from the heart. Okay? So it's not, you know, using the truth as a club. Gotcha, boy, are you in trouble? Listen to what this proverb says. The next one. It says, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness, remember the sweetness, of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. It means secret. That word heartfelt advice in Hebrew, the concept there is secret. It's like what Paul, I think, meant in Galatians 6.1 when he said, if you see somebody who's about to sin, correct them, but correct them in the spirit that you also are just as vulnerable in your own life. It's a lot easier to be corrected by somebody who knows their own vulnerability, who doesn't act like they're perfect. And so for somebody to come alongside me and say, hey, Dale, I'm not sure that's the best decision you're about to make. And I'm only telling you that because I made a bad decision. Very, I made a decision like that in my own life, and it just didn't end well for me. And I want to see it happen to you. Or, you know, I haven't made a decision like that, Dale, but I know, I, know, I know the pain that would cause me. I don't want that pain for you. That's so much easier for me to listen to than somebody who says, what's wrong with you? You an idiot? Come on. What are you doing? See, now I got this person who's empathizing with me and is speaking the truth to me and is speaking that truth in love to me. So is that the kind of friend you are? 
Is that how you do things? That's the kind of friend you want your kids to have. That's the kind of friend you want to be. Say, Pastor, I, I love this whole thing on friendship, but I gotta tell you, I'm struggling. And the struggle I have is I've had friends that have been burned by them. I'm gonna guess that's probably true of almost, you know, at least 50% or more of us here today. We've been in a friendship, we've been hurt in that friendship, we've been hurt bad enough that we just are like, we're porcupine. <laughs> we keep people away. And we suffer for it. And others suffer for it because they don't have our friendship. Where do you find the strength to be a friend to other imperfect people who sometimes in that friendship say and do things that they're just so out of character and so hurtful? Jesus, Jesus set the tone for it. In John 15, he was talking to his friends, the 12. And he said to them that a friend, a true friend, will die for their friends. And then he did it. And it couldn't have been easy to die for them. Especially those who he was closest to, Peter, James, and John. Because it's Peter, remember, who took Jesus pretty seriously. And he said, okay, then I'll die for you. If you have to go to the cross, I'll die with you. I'll die for you. And then when the opportunity came for Peter to prove his friendship, what did he do? He denied Jesus. He cursed and denied Jesus over and over again. That's why when Jesus restores him in John chapter 21, he asks him, Peter, do you love me? Do you, really, do you really love me like a friend's supposed to love? Judas betrayed him. And yet what's interesting is when Judas came from in the garden and Jesus addressed him, what did Jesus call him? He called him friend and Jesus wasn't being sarcastic. And the others all ran and left Jesus there. But he still died because he was the perfect friend. And he never gave up on being a good friend. Now, am I suggesting that you stay in abusive friendship? No. But just as friendships are slowly made, slowly back out of that friendship, but always leave the door open for reconciliation. See, here's the problem. When I mention friendship, we all think about people as as they behave toward us. So when I think about friendship, I'm thinking how you treat me. But if I understand friendship from God's perspective, it's not about me. It's not about how you treat me, it's about how I treat you. And then however you behave and act, you have to answer to God for that. Biblical, godly friendship is a friendship that Jesus modeled, who truly was a friend to all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest friend any of us could ever hope to have. He's proven his friendship by dying for us, giving his life for us. I pray, God, that you help us pay more attention to that friendship, to rest more in that friendship, to enjoy that friendship more, to wake up every day and know that Jesus is my friend no matter what I've said, no matter what I've done. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. To go to bed every night, Jesus is my friend. And God, I pray that that would influence us then to be friends toward others. God, I pray that you'd forgive us for where our friendship has failed, where we have used others rather than just love them for who they are. And for those, Lord, who hear this message today and there's a hungry in their heart to have such a friend like 
David had in Jonathan, God, I pray that you would put them in the right places, bring them to the right places where they can discover that friend, that you too kind of person. And I pray that you help them, Lord, to build a friendship based on godliness and sound character. We all need friends, Lord. We thank you that you are our deepest and our closest friend, but we ask you, Lord, to give us some friends with skin on too. And Father, for the parents who are here today, God, give them courage and grace and wisdom as they bring their children up, as they model friendship, as they teach in friendship. And for our students here today, Lord, I just ask you to give them the courage that you gave Joshua to go out into this year as they start school, not worried about what others think about them, but in pursuit of true friendship, the kind of friend, oh God, you want them to have. And the truth is, Lord, we don't need many of those. <laughs> Just one would be awesome. Grant them that friendship, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.